Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My name is Henry Lopez, and my guest is Annette Azan. Annette, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Henry. My uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. So how do you go from a garment idea to over or close to a million dollars in annual sales and being featured very recently on Poppin' at Nordstrom's? Well, Annette is with me here today to share her fascinating journey in the fashion industry and how she launched Nudie System, which is a retailer of undergarment solutions for women. I'm going to put it very, very crudely because I don't, you know, not being a woman, I don't understand all these things, but I'm calling it for now an, a bra alternative. Is that fair for now, Annette? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You know, one day we, I hope that people will just call it a nudie. <laughs> okay, perfect. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll call it a nudie for now. And we're going to dive into what that's all about, what the product is, how she launched this company and all of that good stuff. You want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me. You can text the word biz, B-I-Z to 772-837-5700 or visit thehowabusiness.com. So let me tell you more about Annette. Annette Azan is a 25-year fashion industry veteran and a graduate of the Fashion Institute of Technology. Annette worked with fashion risk takers, including Diane Benson, Norma Kamali, Donna Karen, and has been involved in launching and developing and driving sales for brands such as Urban Zen, Diane B, and Episode. Inspired by her own need to wear something under her wedding dress, one that fit and made her still feel like herself, as she says, Annette sewed the first nudie in 2001 and launched the product in 2019. Nudie System is creating a new category, as she explains, between bra and braless. Annette lives in Brooklyn, New York. So once again, Annette Azan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation as we were talking before we started recording. My, my daughter aspires and is in the fashion industry. So a lot of this is very interesting for me and for her. And I'm sure she'll be listening to this episode. She lives in Manhattan, as I was sharing, Annette. And I know, obviously, <laughs> as I just said, you're in Brooklyn. So so, yes. so thanks for taking the time. You Let's start at the beginning and, and, and kind of walk through the entrepreneurial journey to where you are today. You studied at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City, right? That's where they are? Yeah, gazillion years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Wish it wasn't that long ago. Um, <laughs> so briefly tell me, after you graduated, uh, tell me, give me the highlights of your early career, if you would. Yeah, you know, I... I feel so fortunate to have had a really um, a very uh, colorful <laughs> experience in the fashion industry. When I left um, uh, the Fashion Institute, I actually went to work for Diane Benson, who at the time owned Comme des Garçons, and she had three boutiques throughout New York. And for those of you who don't know Diane, she was really, um, really a change maker. I mean, she was the first uh, boutique to bring in um, Issey Miyake, Dolce & Gabbana, you know, just edgy designers from overseas that were not here in the U.S. So I learned so much about um, being a visionary from her. She was also a huge art dealer. So, I mean, I, my, I was based in um, Soho in the 80s, which was amazing. We used to, we used to have, um, you know, just 
edgy photographers and lots of actors and musicians who used to come in. And I was the assistant to the general manager of that store because I graduated on the business side of fashion, not design. So I'm, mm. um, yeah, it was, it was just an amazing, I learned so much from her about taking risks. It's interesting that you make that clarification because one of the thoughts that came to mind often when I speak to creative people, the business side of it is often the challenge as they transition into owning a business. But that's that's fantastic that you yeah. studied that. Is that because you you knew you wanted to have that side of it to, to complement your creative side? Well, it's funny because I grew up dancing and I wanted to be a dancer. I went to the high school performing arts for dance actually in Florida. Okay. And um and then I, I just thought I wasn't good enough <laughs> as a dancer. So I actually wanted to, um, I wanted to uh, create fashion shows. I wanted to be that, cre- so I wanted to take that. So, you know, the closest thing was like learning the business of fashion because I wanted it for people to take me seriously. But as it was, I actually didn't go to coordinate fashion shows. I actually went into the business of fashion and, you know, happily so, and I still dance. <laughs> yeah. Is this I, I, one one place I was doing the research? I read about your philosophy of say yes if, if I got it mm, right. Yes, that, was that kind of been who you are from from very early on that you just looked at opportunities and said yes? Yeah, I I, I don't even know where I, I can't say that I got that from my family <laughs> per se, <laughs> but um, yeah, and and with that, you know, there were always challenges with you. Oh my God, I said yes. Now what? Um, but. I somehow muddle through, like I learned what I needed to learn. I got, I, um, opportunities kept coming in as I said, yes. Uh, so there's like an opening you as, even when you say that word, there's an energy that comes in right. that it ma- makes you more receptive. So when you say that, that, um, you may sound like maybe you didn't have those influences that you come from a very traditional family and that the path you were taking seemed risky or it wasn't going to maybe pay the bills long-term, but what was the hesitation there? Well, no, I, I and actually, you know, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My well, father do, okay. never worked for anybody. Um, and he always had, uh, you know, s- several different types of businesses, but um, one of the businesses actually, he owned a factory, a panty factory. Interesting. And I laugh today because it's like, Oh, he was, he was dealing with the lower half of the body and now I'm dealing with the upper half of the body. So, um, you know, I I did learn a lot about business from him, both successes and the mistakes that he made along the way. Um, But I just think the philosophy was different, you know, in the family, not, you know, being a little more careful. I wouldn't say traditional. There's nothing traditional about our family, but careful. yeah, Yeah. Okay, so then what leads to you starting your own boutique? Did you always have that as an aspiration to have your own business? Well, you know, it was interesting. I I used to work for, um, in the 90s, one of the largest trade show um, organizers for fashion called Egato. They were based in Dusseldorf, and they had done this huge merger with Dusseldorf trade shows, and they wanted to, uh, they wanted to break into the U.S. market. They realized at the time that they didn't have any U.S. designers at any of their trade shows. They were huge. They had over a million people that came to their trade shows. And so they hired me to open their first office. I became the VP of uh, marketing here. And it was so interesting to work for them because I really got to learn about what fashion was like in Europe, actually, and around the world, as opposed to the U.S. And my responsibility was actually 
getting U.S. designers to export and to go to our trade shows, hmm. which was huge then. Nobody was nobody was exporting then. I mean, my largest client was Liz Claiborne. And I was basically teaching them how to export at that time. That was in the 90s. We've come wow. a long way right now. Yeah. But what happened was um, I had two young children and I was traveling a lot with um, Igeta because we had trade shows not only in Germany, but we had in London. I had started a new trade show in um, Florida called Avenida Moda for the, um, for the Latin American market. And then 9-11 happened. Hmm. And I just remember feeling like, oh, I don't want to be so far away from my kids. So two things, actually. So that happened. And I realized that there were a lot of inefficiencies with trade shows. And that was at the beginning where the internet was really taking off. And I actually left Egato and started to build out an online trade show called Fashion One-on-One. And it took me a year to really flesh out, do the whole business plan, do, you know, marketing materials around that. I built an incredible advisory board with retailers from around the world. Um, And then we had the internet um, crash um, before I got to be fully funded for that. But it was that I, I like to say that was like getting my MBA really, that was my first business plan and having to kind of, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's and, you know, getting in front of the bankers when I was the only woman there and a woman of color and all of that. And it was a great kind of, um, it was a great uh, grounding for actually for Nudie, you know, today, because I, I kind of knew what that was like. So anyways, so while I was building that, I decided, you know what, I'd love to do something for the community. I felt like, who's my neighbors? I had just left New York, had these two young kids. And I decided to open a kind of New York style boutique actually outside of New York in Nyack called In. And I kind of really dug down there. And for me, that was wonderful because um, even though I was in retailing, I was never on the floor and it allowed me to really understand women, their wants, their needs, their vulnerabilities. Um, And again, that background really, really helped me with nudie. Yeah, I can imagine. So you did that for about five years or so. Why did you transition out of that? Yeah, I I got a divorce that always, you know, is a big change maker and I needed to get out of town. (laughs) It's like I need to change, you know, where I live, who I am. And, and I decided I was going to go back and work for someone else. So I had, I met Donna Karen actually on the bench in Sag Harbor. She had just opened her store, her second store for Urban Zen. And I met her through a friend of mine. And she convinced me, even though I didn't live in Sag Harbor in the Hamptons, to come and manage her store, um, which was really in the infancy stage. And so I did that. And I ended up becoming the head of all the retail stores and really helping to build the brand. I mean, um, I was the only person in that group that had ever worked for themselves. So it was like I had the startup experience and kind of the beginner's mind that was needed because we were really a startup. Um, Everybody else came from the corporate life, you know, large Donna Karen, you know, hundreds of stores. And that's how they were operating our small establishments. So I kind of put the stop on that, um, really reevaluated and really dug down um, into uh, building that brand Urban Mm -hmm. Zen, which was, incredible to do next to Donna Karen. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? 
So did you did you shut down your boutique or I did. did, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it seems like this came, this opportunity with Donna Karen came in around at along at the right time where you needed something to transition here as to where did. you were in life. Yeah, yeah. it did. And I, and I transitioned to, you know, a place that I love. I ended up loving Sag Harbor and kind of moving my kids out there. So I actually had two places. I went between the city and Sag Harbor because I was in between all the stores. And, um, and so that was amazing. I, you know, had a chance to develop the home, uh, furnishings and accessories and you know we were developing product in small Kenyan villages with villagers I mean just so the experience was just so rich on so many levels and also Urban Zen um, the whole belief system was something that was close to me which was about wellness and um, really connection Uh, so that was just a a fantastic fantastic um, years with Donna. And then you decided to go on your own again, right? And that's when the net as on design gets developed. Yeah. So I got married again um, and out in Sag Harbor and, and my second husband actually didn't live here. He lived in North Carolina and I needed to you know, be able to go and travel and blah, blah, blah. So I had always loved interiors and I've been a huge uh, lover of art and having built out the home section for Donna, I said, you know, I can do this. And I actually just, I said, yes. And I just rolled into getting client after client and, and even from North Carolina to here and just literally organically started to build an interior design business. Um, And that was just, what's interesting is interior design is a little, a few steps ahead of fashion always. Um, you know, most fashion designers know we're always looking at colors and textures. Um, so, you know, it's never that far away from the fashion industry. And so it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a wonderful experience, actually. Are you still doing the interior design work or is, is nudie full time for you now? Nudie is um, more than full time. Yeah, <laughs> All right. So tell me the story. I've touched on it very briefly in the opening, but the story of what led to this idea. Yeah. So, you know, I just love that. um, I love when things happen organically. It's just such a treat. But when I got married, I never thought I'd be in this predicament, but I had this amazing dress that I loved. It was very skin bearing and it had super sheer fabric. So everything that I tried to wear as the first layer did not work. And I mean, I know, I know product, right? Right. I, it looked overseas a couple of weeks before my wedding. I decided to buy another dress just in case I couldn't find anything. And so I just put on my head and I said, I wonder if I could make something. Hmm. And, you know, I'm not a designer. So (laughs) when I said make something, it was definitely homemade. (laughs) And so a couple of weeks before I went, you know, into town and I got a fabric never used for um, breasts. And I made my first nudie, hand sewed it with my daughters, put it on my body. And literally the moment... I put it on. I looked around my bedroom and I said, I cannot believe nobody has thought of this. I felt like I had something on, but not really. When I put my dress on, it didn't look like I had anything on, but I knew I had that layer that kept me comfortable so I could dance at my wedding. 
And so it really was that aha moment for me. I hate to use that. It's, you know, it's so over, but it, it was just, it was like, like something that went through my body. I showed a few of my friends were like, oh my God, I can't believe you. I just can't get over this. So after the wedding, I, I had put on my retail head because what I said to myself was, wow, if I had this at Urban Zen, we could have sold so many more garments. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking like, this is a solution to the ills of the retailer. Mm-hmm. So I went back to the drawing board after the wedding and I said, what else can I make out of this fabric that could help retailers sell different types of clothing? So I went back and I made two other styles. So I had the three styles of nudie. Then I started to play um, with names. And, um, you know, I was inspired by many different, you know, photographers and things like that. And I said, well, you feel, you know, nude in a, in a very lovely way. And so I started to play with the name nudie. And actually, it was, it was taken the way that I spelt it by somebody in Australia. So literally every few months I would look online and I said, oh my God, can I buy the name? <laughs> and and it took me a year, but then it, it was, it became available and I was super excited. And then I used to call it the secret support system because, you know, it's like something that you really don't know that's there. So that's where the word system came. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, back in 2011. It's a long time ago. 2011 is is that when you got married when i got married when i made those first nudies and um so i took the hand sewn nudies to Mm -hmm. my sewer and she never could really get the construction right so that it would actually do something and so it was very frustrating because i had never been on the production side of fashion and so i knew that i really needed to find somebody to help me flesh that out and to make those prototypes real so i put the three prototypes in my safe that's how that's how valuable I felt they were, and it took me four years to find um, fabulous woman who had very deep knowledge of bras, development of bras and activewear, who who sat in Sag Harbor and saw me put it on, and even saw my wedding book, and said, so "Like, wow, I, I see product all the time. People show show me things that most of them aren't relevant, or they've been done, or um, can't be done." And she said, "You know, you're really onto something here." And that was in 2015 was the first time that we met. Why, why um, did it take four years? I mean, was it because you were busy doing other things or? Yeah. And I just kind of casually always, you know, threw it out. Oh, you know, does anybody know anybody in the broad industry? I wasn't like, right. I've got to find somebody now. And in hindsight, um, I have to say that, you know, if it's one thing, like don't force anything. Cause I, I feel like if I forced it back then, the timing would not have been right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Enough. It was too early. Going back to the, the point of putting it in the safe. I often struggle with this whole idea and which way to go when, when we come up with a new idea, obviously we have that immediate thought of somebody's going to steal this idea from me. And I suspect, you know, you having had experience in the fashion industry, maybe that's something that's a real concern but then another school of thought is that you need to let ideas breathe and we can't worry too much about somebody stealing it. What are your thoughts now in hindsight about that? I think it's both, really. I think um, because we kept it super close to us until we were got our patent approved. Um, and uh, actually now we have two patents. 
uh, just because everybody's looking for the next big idea, right? And and when you don't, when you're a startup and you don't have as much money as others, it makes it even harder um, because you can be squashed in a minute. So we're very careful on who we we um, showed it to. Um, one of our advisors actually um, on our, the first advisor on our advisory board worked she was the creative director of pink but we didn't show it pink from victoria's secret we didn't show it to her until she hadn't you know no longer been working for them and she was the first person from lingerie industry that we showed it to and to, to you get know, feedback is to that get like feedback yeah and she qualified it she said i you know that again that was like 2016 she said yes i've seen the writing on the wall for Yes, and um, you know that there needs to be changes because women are changing and they they want something different. So um, that was great to know. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause to share a special offer from our new show sponsor, GoSight. I have a question for you. Is your business engaging with customers online? You know your customers expect a seamless and easy digital experience, especially during a pandemic, but how can you actually make it happen? You're already working hard from sunup to sundown on your business. You don't have the time to build a website, manage online reviews, and get set up to accept online bookings and payments. But it's not impossible. With GoSite, you can move your entire operation online easily with everything you need to run your business in one place. GoSite provides an all-in-one online platform that makes it easier for your customers to find, book, and pay for your services. Just take Liz as an example. Her landscaping business gained over $260,000 in online sales from new customers in their local area and used GoSite to make it easier for their existing customers to pay and book their services online. Check out the all-in-one platform from GoSite that makes it easier for your customers to find, book, and pay for your services online instantly. Best of all, you don't need any technical experience to get started. Go to gosite.com forward slash podcast to get started for free. That's gosite.com slash podcast to get started today for free. All right. Before I continue here, fully describe the garment for us. So nudie is an option between bra and braless. It has a, um, it's all starts with the fabric. It has a 360 degree stretch. So it hugs your natural shape, which, you know, goes against everything a bra is supposed to, to do, right? Bras were invented a hundred years ago, basically to reshape you, right? So if you look at bras throughout the ages, you know, it's flattened you or, you know, they were bullet bras, or then there was the push-up bra that made you twice as large. So throughout the years, basically women were at the folly of the bra industry. Like, what should I look like now? So the beauty of nudie is that it just hugs your unique, unique shape. It also, because of its design, its two-strap design, it becomes a utility product. This is very important because I know that myself and pretty much every woman I know would have a gazillion bras because bras may work for one outfit, it doesn't work for another um, outfit, or it doesn't work for this activity, but it works for that. And so at the end of the day, you're spending tons of money. We needed something that was easier, that was comfortable, and that it allows us to be ourselves. And that's what nudie is. 
and it's creating this new category because it's not a bra because it doesn't shape and you're not braless. You're really something in between. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. I want to go back now. Thanks for explaining that. I want to go back now to the development process. You mm -hmm. found this person in, in uh, Sag Harbor area that seamstress, I think is what my term, I guess, for it. Is that fair? Uh, um, no, 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 a seasoned executive who, who was a product developer, you know, who did product development. And, and who was the person you found somebody who could sew it to create the prototype, right? No, no, no. This, this woman was a high executive. And okay. so she, she and I got together and then we found somebody that could, you know, draw the um, protos. And then we got somebody who was a designer who would work with us to get the protos right. And then we went to factories. Okay. So, All right. yeah. That process then took about how much more time? So it's an interesting process with the factories because we were ultimately looking to work with the factory here in the U.S., but, you know, as most people know, especially in garment, um, there aren't that many left here. So we traveled a lot. It took us around a year, um, traveled down to all these factories. Then we would come back to New York and they would need to develop this. This is not made in a bra factory because it's not a bra. This, this needed something that needed development. And we'd come back here and nobody wanted to develop. And so we ended up going over to Columbia um, and they started to develop the fabric, first of all, with us. And then that took eight months and they got it right. And then they didn't want to sign an NDA to do the sewing part of it. Right. <laughs> and so we started over again back at the U.S. It was like, wow. oh, my God, we lost a whole year with this. Oof. So we ended up going back to one of the initial factories that we had met with that would have been the perfect partner for us. And um, this time there was an opening. And they did get serious about development. So it took two and a half years of back and forth development with them to get Nudie right. And then they were, I'm assuming, willing to do a small enough run that worked for you and your budget? Correct. Yeah. So when we, after that two and a half years, and we had um, been trialing on over 500 women, because Nudie has no hardware whatsoever, you know, so, um, you know, breasts are, are, the most un, you know, unique part of the body. It's like worse than making a suit, really, because um, so the fit had to be just right. So it took us along a lot of women trialing a lot of time, um, but they were willing to work with us um, because they saw that there was an opportunity here know that nudie could really they really believed in us they didn't believe in us at the very beginning i'll have to tell you <laughs> there was a lot of convincing that we had to do but then i then once we got to that place that sweet spot they said oh wow we can see it you convinced them not because you had orders i'm assuming just because they bought into the idea yes. here yes yes that it could be done that it could be done it could be yes and and that it would offer them offer them an opportunity for growth within their factory mm -hmm. Right, um, when did you bring in Kickstarter, which for those who may not know is, is a crowd uh, funding platform? At what point does the Kickstarter campaign come into play here? Yeah, so we launched a very small uh, test website to make sure that um, all the pieces worked. It was password protected, you know, at the time um, and that the factory was producing and that was all working. So we did that for three months and then we decided let's just go straight to the end consumer in a big way. 
So we decided to do Kickstarter and Kickstarter took a lot of work. It was three and a half dedicated months of, um, you know, doing the video and photos and descriptions and everything. Which and is critical. Launched- That's been my experience. Critical. That's critical to a yes. successful campaign. Yeah. Yes. You don't just open your doors. And then we were so fortunate to have gotten the um, attention of one of the best marketing companies called Jellup. Um, they do, they pick and choose who they work with on Kickstarter campaigns. That's their specialty. And every one of their campaigns are like winners, but they also just pick win- people who they think are going to win. So they, they actually said that they would take us on and they helped us pre-market the campaign before we even started. So when we opened our doors, we felt um, we were excited and nervous at the same time, but felt like we had really done everything we could possibly do. So when we launched on June 11th, it was one of the most exciting days of my life to open that door and then see $50,000 worth of orders come in in two hours. And when you say open the door, you're talking about launching the Kickstarter launching. campaign. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, from all over the world. And so for 30 days, it was just an- literally 24-7 just answering um, questions and comments. And, you know, uh, even once a, a woman said, you know, I, oh, my God, I'm so excited about nudie. I, I, ha- I had a stroke and I can't use my left hand, so I have not been able to wear bras. Do you think I could get a nudie on with one hand? and one arm. And I, and I said, hold on, I'm going to try. And that's, mm-hmm. that's how connected yeah. we were to the customers. And I said, Oh my God, you can do it. You can do it. And so she ended up, you know, pledging for a nudie, but so we ended up selling um, 750,000 within those 30 days on, and to shipping to over 40 different countries around the world. And just to get the timing, right. You had lined up the manufacturer, mm-hmm. the Kickstarter campaign, that is what funded then placing the first order? Correct. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And then um, we couldn't roll into, you know, it took us some months to get our manufacturing up, running, shipped, everybody, et cetera, et cetera. So after the Kickstarter campaign ended, there were so many people still wanting nudie, we rolled it over to Indiegogo, which there's an Indiegogo on demand, which means you don't have to have an end date of your campaign. I see. You can just kind of keep rolling in the backers. And so we stayed on Indiegogo from August until December, and we took in, without doing any advertising, another 200000 almost in um and uh, sales. Fantastic. As yeah. you look back, not that it was that long ago, but as you look back to mm-hmm. that whole effort using the crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, rather, is there anything you would have done differently now that you have the perspective of hindsight? Hired more people. <laughs> it was a lot of work. Wow. I mean, the shipping transactions, because you know, you're going from one to a hundred in no time, and just the logistics is daunting but that would have meant more funding then because you would have had to come up with the money to hire those people yes true and we would would have also had we had more advertising money we would have we would have clearly just on kickstarter alone done over a million wow okay and then so that after that is that when then you eventually started selling on your website was that the next yes sales so our first thing was make sure that all our, our backers um, had everything fulfilled before we opened our website, or else we would have had a lot of backlash. So um, had, a, had them all fulfilled in January 2020, 
and um, we opened our website in February. And basically for the two months that we opened, we just allowed all of our Kickstarter backers because we had everybody's emails. And I believe that at that point we were almost like 14,000 um, customers um, to come back and buy, like to reorder because people at that point, you know, had had it for whatever, six months, right. seven months, and they wanted more. So we just let them, we call them our VIPs, let them come back. And then in April of last year, just in time for COVID, we <laughs> just we decided to start advertising and um, just saw, you know, again, that was exciting because it was like, you know, building a whole new crowd. We were getting in front of new eyes and new customers. Mm-hmm. Are you profitable at this point? We are not profitable because we're growing. Um, but if we if we stay steady, then we will very soon. Okay. Tell us about this experience that just ended with the pop-in at Nordstrom. That has to have been a huge boost. Yeah, that was um, unexpected. Again, you know, it kind of sailed in at the last minute. Um, We weren't prepared inventory-wise for that, but we also didn't want to say no. We said yes. (laughs) So um, we actually had to take inventory out of our holiday um, stock to fulfill that. But, you know, it was so right for Nudie because the pop-in focus was wellness and about self-love, which is totally what Nudie is about. Like if you are not loving and accepting yourself, you're going to be uncomfortable in a Nudie because Nudie is not there to make you into something you're not. And so we, you know, ran at the opportunity. Um, What was really exciting also was that we were not just in the U.S. pop-in, but we were also in Canada, which we have a really um, nice customer base. And so we actually helped to promote um, to our customers that they could buy on the Canadian site and not have to, you know, pay duties and shipping and things. So they were, they were really excited. Okay. And so related to that with the whole inventory challenge, were you impacted because of how everybody else has been impacted with getting stuff from overseas? Well, yeah. I mean, not with overseas because we're here in the U.S. Um, manufacturing, but- Oh, you know, okay. Our- okay. So I missed that. So the manufacturer you selected ended up being in the States. Oh, it being, yeah, in the States. Yeah. And uh, yeah, sorry about that if I wasn't clear, but yes, it ended up that we came back to the States to the very the first raw one. material. So the, the, the fabric is being manufactured here as well? Everything is done in the same factory. That's the beauty of it. It's nudies there's a simplicity to all facets of the process of nudie um, to the end use of nudie. Um, And what was interesting was, you know, we said uh, that in April we started to advertise. um, So sales were going up and up and that's exactly when our factory, that was when COVID was really spreading and everything had to shut down. So our factory ended up being shut for, I don't know, five or six weeks and so we had to pull back our advertising dollars because oh goodness, yes. you know we started to sell out of things and you know and then when they when they got back up and running they they had lost some of our so of their sewers you know because people were being paid i mean this is a really real thing people were getting paid more yeah. by the government than what they were getting paid in the factory and so you know those were challenges so we had you know april may june we were challenged by july august we were getting merchandise back in our sales started to zoom um and and then we were just off and running again yeah all right so uh obviously you were participate not obviously but you participated in xrc labs retail accelerator program that's how you got connected 
Tell me about that experience. Yeah, so per, it was wonderful timing. I just, again, organic. I went to a fireside chat and met um, Kirsten, one of the principals of XRC. And I mentioned, you know, she asked me where it was from. I mentioned Nui, and she actually knew about the Kickstarter campaign. Okay, and so, so this is I, after the Kickstarter campaign. Yes. Yeah. This was in um, in December of uh, 2019, just when we were just finishing shipping everyone. And she said, "Oh, you know, we're we're actually um, we're doing uh, our new cohort is starting. You should come and pitch. I think you'd be great." You know, I, I had nudies with me, and I said, "Oh, you know, interesting." Never really thought about going the route of an accelerator, but I knew at the that time that it would really help to have some support in a lot of different areas. So I pitched um, and it was great to pitch in front of, you know, some of the large corporate executives to get their feedback on it. And we got accepted happily. So, uh, and it was a great experience. Um, XRC, not only are, did they bring in, they, they became an investor and brought in funding, but um, I ended up with wonderful mentors um, they were able to uh, guide us in, you know, our pitch decks, um, marketing. I know for me personally, they gave me the courage to dig down and really um, brand Nudie the way that I saw that it needed to be branded. Like they really gave me the courage to do that, which was really important. And, you know, strategic partnerships, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just been, and also just working with other people within the cohort also just to have a community that you can um, lean in on. It's, it's been a tremendous experience. Yeah. That, that alone can be so valuable where we can get yeah. so isolated as business. Totally. Owners. Totally. I can see where even that was valuable. If you completed the program or are you still in that now? We never completed really. <laughs> so it's, we, on, it's an ongoing thing no. after the initial phase of it. I, guess. I mean, you're, you're in it for, I don't know, four months, uh, you know, where you're, mm-hmm. you're, you have full access to all of the sure. you know meetings. And then you are also, you need to do your homework basically. But after that, you're always part of the groups. You can always um, get in front of the investors or if you want to, you know, sit in on something or you need advice, um, you know, they're there. So, and that's great to know. All right. So what's next? What's next for Nudie? What, what's on the horizon? Oh, just building out that brand. So this year is going to be a big year for us because, you know, last year with, you know, hopefully this year will be a bigger year with, with COVID and then, you know, just, just starting our website. So we have a whole year of metrics. We kind of, we know what's behind us now. Um, we're also starting to manufacture also in Turkey. So we'll have two different manufacturing plants. So we're super excited about that. Why did you so, have to do that? It was just capacity? Capacity. And also we never want to be vulnerable again. I see. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I would say if, if you're going into manufacturer always get more than one manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Okay. We also have a lot of, um, we've got a lot of customers in Europe. So we hope to just set up a fulfillment center there sure, yeah. uh, and um, be able to, to um, have them ship direct. But we have new colors, new styles. We even have a pattern, um, lots and lots of growth this year. I read somewhere you're even thinking about because of how easily this can be packaged or because yeah. it's not very big be a different way of distribution, maybe vending machines, those kind of things. So tell me a little bit about that, because that's interesting. Yeah. So what's exciting about Nudie, you know, we see it more as an accessory, right? It's packaged goods. You're never going to try on the store. You know, um, 
I like to say, you know, thinks, you know, think Spanx, right? Spanx um, was even being sold in shoe stores, right? It was just an accessory that people needed to make their garments fit better. So because of the packaging and the distribution can be wide. Nudie is wonderful for travel. And even before we had launched on Kickstarter, we had been in meetings with um, boutiques, retailers in airports that were super excited about this. And so we've kind of mocked up vending machines that once we get the brand recognition out there, which probably won't be this year, but hopefully the following year, then we can actually have these vending machines where people are traveling and they can just go and get their nudies, mm -hmm. stick it in their back pocket and go. Right. Um, but, you know, resorts, uh, airports, um, uh, boutique hotels, um, e Equinox, um, and I would love to see us sitting in a Sephora. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. You're great. Very creative. All right, Annette, if, if somebody, and I'm sure people do all the time, comes to you and said, I've got an idea for a garment, what do you usually tell them as to how to get started and how to go about those initial phases in particular? You know, it's, it, ideas, yours was brilliant, but, but I like to think ideas are not the hard part. It's now taking that next step and actually executing it and, and getting to the point of bringing it to market. That's where great ideas fall apart. So as you look back and you've done this now, what advice do you have to somebody who has an idea for a garment? Yeah. So if, if they're not from the fashion industry and really doesn't have experience, I would say take someone on who knows what they're doing. You will not regret it. You will save a lot of time, money, mistakes. Um, also, look kind of look around and see if the timing's right for it. Because I think a lot of times that great ideas go sour because the timing's not right. Before, if I had actually started Nudie back in 2011, it may have failed. Women were what, still what, wearing- What has changed timing-wise that, that uh, you think it would have failed? Yeah, Nudie's, uh, women have changed. Um, their needs and wants have changed. Um, back then, they were still wanting to be two sizes larger, construction. You know, right now we're in a moment of self-love, self-acceptance, health, women want to be themselves, you know, you're seeing, you know, older women just going gray, they're fine with that. They're, it's like we're, we are just beautifully falling in love with ourselves. And nudie is part of that. Um, and so the timing is right. Mm -hmm. We weren't there. We weren't there 10 years ago. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Good, great advice. All right, we'll start to, to wrap it up. Uh, I know you have a special offer for our listeners to get her a great discount on this incredible product. So tell us about that. Yeah. So we have a special code that you can use to get a 15% off. Um, when you go to the site and it says apply this code, you can use how of biz that's H O W O F B I Z 15. And you can get 15% off a nudie. And tell us the website again. It's www.nudisystem.com. That's N-U-U-D-I-I system.com. Wonderful. And we'll have a link to that on the show notes page as well at thehowabusiness.com, as well as that discount code if you're not where you can write it down right now. So take advantage of that. These are not uh, overly priced. I was looking at it with my daughter last night. So they're, it's a very good price point. So in addition to that, 15% off is, is a big deal. All right. I'm always looking for a book recommendation, Annette. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? So I have two, actually. <laughs> Blink by, Matt, Matt, uh, by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. I have to say that um, 
because I had a blink moment and I had read that book long ago, I went with that, which he talks about thin slicing where you've got that real gut intuition. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just want to say if anybody is getting that, you know, listen and read the book because it really allows you um, to kind of back that up. But and if also, I remember in having read that book, it's been a while since I read it and I'm mm-hmm. terrible at remembering, but doesn't he also talk about that that gut or intuition is really influenced by that, it, those experiences that you have? Is that? It's interesting because he says, and I, and this is, I, I have repeated this so many times, but he said, what happens with that gut instinct is that if we go to the pineal gland and we start to quantify it, then it starts to shut it down, but Ah, it's not this, it's not that, it's not this, it's not that. And that's where it goes wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where the science behind it is. You know, he he talks about, you know, um, musicians, like phenomenal musicians or athletes or scientists and how they don't allow, you know, let that pineal gland get in the way and basically shut it down. All right, what's the other book? The other book is um, Mona Bajor, Startups and Downs, who is the woman I met at the fireside chat when I met uh, Kirsten from XRC. And she bo- it's a very thin book, but it is really well written. And I love it because she really tells it like it is. You know, she tells the skinny on startups and it really is ups and, ups and downs. And I think it's, it's a great read. Great. Thanks for those recommendations. We'll have links links to those as well on the show notes page at thehowabusiness.com. All right, Annette, we'll, we'll ramp it up. What's, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation that we've had on how you went about launching and, and now growing Nudie System? Um, there's always room for innovation. And it, you know, again, it may not even be something um, like I wasn't a designer, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, there's always room for innovation and some of the best innovation came from your own personal need. So just pay attention. Even uh, and, and even in something that in a, a market that might seem crowded or every idea has been come up with, there's room for something, a, a different twist on something. Yes. And I love um, I used to have this in my pitch deck, but there is a saying that says that the electric light did not come about from the reinvention of candles. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. All right. Tell us where you want us to go again online to learn more and to take advantage of that discount. Nudisystem.com. That's N-U-U-D-I-I system.com. Wonderful. Annette, this has been a great conversation, inspirational, uh, lots to learn, lots of great takeaway. Thanks for being so transparent and for taking the time to be with me today. Thank you for having. This was lovely. And um, yeah, and I've, I've listened to several of your podcasts and they're great. So thank you for uh, doing what you're doing. Thanks. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Annette Azan. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.